Good morning, and welcome to Lopes on Movies. Today, we're going to do something a little different than usual. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Thomas Leach, a professor of English and film studies here at UD, about a wide range of topics from the future of film, the role of film in modern culture, and the works of Alfred Hitchcock. Professor Leach is a true film expert and one of the greatest teachers I've ever been lucky enough to have, so I'm extremely excited to share this conversation with you all for the show. Today's episode will be part one of the conversation, with the second part airing next week. Hope you all enjoy. I think the uh, the first thing I kind of want to talk about is more more general stuff, just because it's it's been so long since I've taken one of your classes. Now it's been like five years since I was in one of them, I guess. <laughs> Which, believe me, is is pretty uh, shocking to me. I'm sure as much as it is to you. I'm sorry, Joey. I get older every day, but I always assume that what my back has turned, other people stay exactly the same. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, actually, that's funny because having worked at the university for for you know a couple couple of years now really ever since i graduated i've been working there and it's been interesting seeing you know all the students stay the same age even though i'm getting older which i have to imagine is a experience that you know professors have as well that is half the weird experience the other half is in the collective memory of the university a generation is four years yeah exactly you know after after five years people have no idea what was happening five years ago nobody does Maybe yeah, elderly graduate students. <laughs> yeah, but well, that's that's funny too, because like the just thinking about like how quickly the the culture changes at at a university with like the you know four years, all the students are different. It's it feels like over the past five years, the general kind of media and culture landscape has already changed dramatically from where it was where when I was in college. Um, and I think that's interesting, and I'm kind of curious how that's affected some of the the classes you've taught like how are students different now from like five years ago or or even a little bit further back than that well one really obvious thing to say is that students are much more invested in their online lives than they used to be and consequently Mm -hmm. they're less invested in the lives that they're living in what i think is meat space Mm -hmm. um it used to be for instance that before i started a class you know, before every day of a, before every session of a class, um, I'd go in and people would be sitting around and they would talk. Uh, they'd be talking mm-hmm. to each other. And if I talked to them, they would talk back to me. Now that never sure. happens. Uh, people are oh, really? online, you know, checking their messages, tweeting to each other, um, text, well, texting more than tweeting. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they put down the devices for the class, but I'm keenly aware of the fact that the class is an interruption in what's basically the ongoing life that they're living. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you know the play, Samuel Beckett's play, Waiting for Godot. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of it. I've actually never like read it or seen okay. it. Though. Well, the gimmick, of course, is that these two guys, Vladimir and Astragon, are waiting for Godot, but he never shows up. And right, yeah. basically two acts of trying to pass the time until till mm-hmm. Godot comes along. The play was, I think, first staged in 1954. And in the past few years, I thought Godot could never write this play now because Didi and Gogo wouldn't just be waiting for Godot. Uh, uh, Didi and, yeah, right, Gogo would not be waiting for Godot to, to show up. They'd be uh, checking their mail or playing mm-hmm. acting birds or, you know, mm-hmm. tweeting out to their buds, uh, where's Godot? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's five miles away. Now he's 4.8 <laughs> miles away, and so on. Um, and that made me wonder when Beckett first wrote the play, television was first becoming big. Mm-hmm. And I wondered, did Godot, did Beckett think television is a killer of leisure time and we need to celebrate emptiness in a way mm-hmm. that we didn't used to? 
um, can't check with Beckett, he's dead, and he and I didn't move in the same circles anyway. But this is one <laughs> way that I really think a lot about the way that students have changed, uh, that their mm -hmm. lives are basically organized around um, social media, and everything mm -hmm. else is really an interruption. Sure. That may yeah. not be true, but that's my experience. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that, I mean, th that kind of checks checks out with what I've experienced just with my own, like, habits and and like my, my own like interactions with friends that I have. Cause like, obviously you're right. Like if I'm waiting for something, I'm just going to be on my phone the whole time. Um, and I do feel like I, I can recall when I was, when I would sit in your classes, like before the, the class would start, um, like, I, even then people would be on their computers or their phones or whatever. But I, I can recall like little conversations or just like, you know, things occurring and you know, eventually like talking to you, if you came in a little early, we, we would ask you a question or something. But uh, that's interesting to see that it's kind of like, people are, are so invested in what's going on in like the online space that they, they like you said, it's an interruption. Like they, they go to your class and they're basically like they're online until they can't be. And then they're in your class for the, whatever duration of the class it is. And then once it's over there, they're back to that sort of. Oh my um, goodness. I made it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now I can go on with my life. It's funny because the most interesting thing, the most valuable thing, the most valuable experience that I had in a class, I think it was three years ago, stemmed from a remark that I overheard one student making to another student before the class started. Um, and I mean, I thought a lot about that remark and I've talked to both students about it too. Um, now I think I was so lucky that I overheard them talking before class. That wouldn't happen anymore. <laughs> wow. So I guess the uh, sort of a follow-up question to that. So just thinking about how much that the the media landscape has changed, I'm curious if the students that come to your classes today, like what what are the the movies that they're familiar with? Like what is the the kind of like common language between them? Because when I was in high school and coming into college, anybody that was interested in film was really obsessed with like all the people that came up in the nineties, like Christopher Nolan, David Fincher and Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson, all these people. Um, and I feel like that, I don't have much like information for us, but I feel like that has probably changed over the past um, couple of years. So I'm curious if, if there's a different experience of like what the students that come to your class actually know um, before they come to your class. I am sure that things have changed but I'm probably not the best person to ask because you're going to get a serious overstatement from me about how much <laughs> things have changed. Here it is. Um, I said a minute ago that Hitchcock has dated that he's now become very 20th century. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, who was it? Susan Sontag said around 1970, movies, cinema is the art form of the 20th century. And when she mm -hmm. wrote that, it made a lot of sense. Now it still makes sense, but in a, diff in a different way. Sure, yeah. Definitely not the art form of the 21st century. Mm -hmm. When students come to my classes, they're basically studying what many of them regard as a dead art form. I mean, it may be an art mm -hmm. form that they really like, but it's not one that they're connected to on anything like an ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. um, when I was in college, um, what everybody was interested in about movies was the auteur theory. Who directed right. this film? Have you seen all of John, uh, John Ford's Westerns? And mm -hmm. um, then... I don't know, maybe 10 years or so after I started teaching here, I asked Harris Ross, what do you think? Students aren't really into auteurism anymore. What are they into? And he said, box office. 
That's what they talk about all the time. They all know how much the movie made last weekend. They know what place mm -hmm. it was in. Um, they know uh, whether it's gone, um, how much down it's gone over the past three weeks. They know how it's trending. They know how it compares mm -hmm. to earlier films in the franchise and so on. And if you ask mm -hmm. me now, what do students know about movies? I would have to scratch my head and say, Joey, I'm really not sure what they know about movies, except that they're old and kind of quaint. Yeah, that that's, uh, you know, it breaks my heart to hear that, but that's kind of the answer I was expecting a little bit because the the impression I get especially is the the line between movie and like television and just kind of like the general blur of content that we have now is uh is stronger than ever, and I feel like um like there's still people obviously watching what you would you know consider film if you're just thinking of it in terms of like you know, moving images with synchronized audio, right? But they're getting, like, basically TV shows and movies that are being put on streaming services and stuff. They're still watching them, but the actual engagement with um, a film in the way that I feel like... It was, it was, I guess it was even passe sort of when I was coming up and, and interested in those filmmakers and, and the auteur theory and all of that. But it, it feels like that very much now is starting to dissipate, especially since the most popular movies are very much like based on intellectual property and um just like kind of it's the idea that sells more so than the the people that are in it or the people that directed it um and i think that's interesting it's it's not unilateral or definitely still are things where people are interested in the person but it definitely does feel like it's significantly less than than it was in in the old days for sure i don't think for instance that most students roll that interest in stars Mm -hmm. um, I think that most students who are not really, really into film are not interested in more than a handful of filmmakers. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that you put it very well. Um, the most popular movies these days are franchise tentpoles. Mm -hmm. And it's not that people are interested in the movie. They're more interested in the franchise. Uh, right. How many Avengers movies have you seen? Do you, did you notice the inconsistencies? It's almost mm -hmm. as if before you see the new franchise entry, you have to see all the old ones so that you can pass the entrance exam on the way in. Yeah, Anyways, right. This is great because it really does encourage you to sharpen your mind and to watch critically. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, it's a different great way to watch movies. I'll, I'll tell you a story. Mm -hmm. 10, 15 years ago, um, students used to say to me, you know, you should really get uh, you should really get a widescreen TV, a big screen TV, for your house because I had said many times I hate watching movies at home. I don't like watching movies on TV. I only like going to the movies to watch them. And everybody mm -hmm. said, well, you know, if you had a forty or fifty or sixty inch TV, you'd feel better. So eventually, I got a big screen TV. Didn't change my habits. I still didn't like mm -hmm. watching movies on it. Although it did change the way I watched The Wire. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. We were able to turn on the English language subtitles midway through the second series, the second season of The Wire. For the first time, I, I realized what those people were talking about. It was <laughs> anyway, um, I got a big screen TV. It did not change the way I watched movies. And I wanted to explain this to the students. But by that time, it didn't matter. Students weren't watching movies on big screen TVs anymore. They're watching them on their phones. Mm -hmm. And and the equivalent students to the ones who had said to me five years earlier, you don't get the full experience if you're not watching it on a big screen with a stereo sound 5.1. Um, we're now saying, well, why would I, why would I want to watch on anything bigger than a three-inch screen? You know, with my with my iPod buds um, hooked up so that I could watch it 
in my own time, under my own circumstances, and as discontinuously mm -hmm. as I wanted. And this mm -hmm. last part, I guess, I thought was the real dividing line between me and the students. That for me, watching movies had become a kind of quasi-religious experience. Mm -hmm. You know, you tune into the movie, and if, by golly, if people in back of you were talking, you shush them. <laughs> yeah, right. And you would never walk out of a movie early. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that would be a blasphemous thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and now students are consuming movies, you know, in bite-sized portions. And I mm -hmm. have to admit, I've started to watch many movies this way too. I mean, I watch movies while I'm brushing my teeth. I'll watch three minutes of a movie and then turn it off. I'll watch three more minutes <laughs> several hours later. So, I seem to remember you uh, mentioning that you're watching funny games one time. That's oh, <laughs> what a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought, funny games remains there for all these years. The most unpleasant movie I've ever seen. And we had this conversation. I've seen the American remake. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's also pretty awful, but the original film is worse. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, and I foolishly thought, well, funny games, everybody says funny games is so terrifying. I will minimize the impact of it by only watching it in short doses uh, while mm -hmm. I'm brushing or flossing my teeth. And the mm -hmm. result of that was to spread the terror over five and a half days. <laughs> what a terrible, terrible decision that was to make. <laughs> Well, honestly, that you you explaining that spreading the terror over five and a half days is kind of like a that's kind of in in a funny way, sort of how I feel about television as a whole. Um, like the, I, I'm not like against the the idea of the like the serialized TV show. I think it it's interesting, and there have been shows that I like. But over over time, I've really really come to appreciate the the singular experience of a movie where you you start it and then for whatever amount of time the movie is it's just one kind of sustained experience that you have that has a beginning middle and end um and at the end of that experience it's like you've you've seen the entire thing and can reflect on it um and it feels like even that's kind of like i can only think of how many people wouldn't even touch like the irishman like the martin scorsese movie because it's so long and they just think like i, I can't sit through a movie this long I, I would have to watch it in chunks, you know, I'd have to do it that way. Um, and yeah, so, so obviously like with a movie like Funny Games, that's uh, much worse than watching a TV show over over a couple of days. But in, in a way, I, I, I appreciate the how succinct a movie is in comparison to a, uh, a serialized drama or something like that. For me, the big difference is not succinctness, but closure. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife is really into serial TV. So when we watch together, which is most of the watching that I do, we're much more likely to watch um, long-form TV uh, mm -hmm. or episodic TV, uh, you know, with a formula like Law and Order, for instance. Sure. Um, it's very reassuring. It's the same thing every day. And I can get into that. Um, but what I prefer, and this is another way that I'm old school, I think, I'm very Aristotelian, is a story with a beginning and a middle and an mm -hmm. end. And I really mm -hmm. like it when I get the end and I think, ha! Ah, that's it, mm -hmm. it's over. And now I can mm -hmm. reflect on the whole thing. And mm -hmm. for me, continuing long form series, especially open-ended series, are a nightmare. <laughs> I never know when they're gonna be over. And, and, <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, when The Sopranos or when Mad Men ended, I thought, that's it, that's the ending. That's yeah, the I, I feel like that's the experience of the, the serialized drama in general. I don't think they ever end in a way where you feel like, ah, the ending that that was the that was the ending that this should have had you know like I, I feel like a good ending always feels kind of inevitable where it's like when when you think about it you're like this is what it this is the ending it needed to have this is good 
um, but a TV show almost by just the nature of how complex and intricate they are and how long they go, it almost feels like that's kind of an impossible thing to pull off. And I don't know if I've ever seen a TV show that really has in a way that's been as satisfying as like a really great movie ending. You know? Breaking Bad, I thought had a great ending. It did. I think that's the closest that yeah. I've, I've seen. When I watched it, I didn't think you called out an ending. I thought I knew that it was coming here. It's just that it took a long, long time yeah. to get <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I wasn't sorry that it had taken a long time. I really enjoyed Breaking Bad, and I was sorry when it was over. But I did think oh, yeah. that's probably the best ending to a long-form show I can think of. No, yeah, I think I think I feel the same way, actually. That's uh, that, that's kind of like the one show that is like the exception for my <laughs> my ongoing kind of middle of the road feelings on tv i'm in the but, middle uh, right now of watching penny dreadful i'm not quite halfway through the second season and i just found out that john barry the showrunner planned the third season to be the last season but didn't tell anybody else mm-hmm. so his idea was that you know when the last when the last segment of the third season was over he said okay that's that's it everybody so long <laughs> and i'm very curious to see how i feel about that episode when i finally watch it mm-hmm. right i'm going it won't be anytime soon but <laughs> sure. i live in hope so i I'm, i want to like we, we could you kind of touched on this a little bit um but just with especially with the the covid pandemic there's been a lot of talk about movie theaters lately and what what the role of movie theaters is in people's just kind of general entertainment media consumption life and everybody is saying that the movie theaters are going to die because warner brothers just announced that they're putting so many of their movies on streaming services and everything um and you know there's a lot of filmmakers that are really upset about this but i feel like the the general it's just anecdotal but just from seeing people's reactions i've kind of gotten the sense that more or less people are okay with this. They're kind of like, yeah, you know, I, I, don't, I wouldn't mind watching something in my house instead of having to go to a theater all the time. Um, and I, I've even seen like, like when Christopher Nolan got kind of upset when Warner's announced this, people are kind of like, oh, Nolan, you're just like, a, you're, you're so, uh, um, like you're hubris, you know, you're, <laughs> you're, you're an artist who's out of control, you know, like this is a good thing for people, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it feels like people don't really have that kind of, reverence for the movie theater experience that traditionally is something that filmmakers used to really really push so what just kind of what do you think about this like this shift that we're we're seeing now that may or may not be more or less indefinite as uh as movie theaters start to be less and less important to people well a couple of things first yes this shift is happening um we're not going to go back Mm -hmm. um second it didn't happen as a result of what warners did uh, what Warner did was a symptom, not a cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warner's right. will surely be followed by other studios. I don't know how long it'll take. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I regard the decline of uh, motion picture, of, of motion picture houses, of of uh, of movie theaters as very much like the decline of academic conferences. It was mm-hmm. if people already were thinking of good reasons to not have them. And then lo and mm-hmm. behold, a pandemic came along, and now they had a terrific reason to not have them. Yeah. So instead of people jetting all over the world and feeling guilty about their carbon offsets, they could now stay home and Zoom, and the only problem was that the time zones were different. They had to plan. Right. So with movie theaters, people have been getting away from going to movie theaters, I think, for a while. Um, right. Box offices keep going up because theaters keep jacking up the prices, but attendance hasn't kept going up. And I think here, um, there it's complicated there are a bunch of different reasons uh, one of them we've touched on already uh, the changing habits of student audiences of young people mm-hmm. 
um, who are just as invested in seeing a movie on their terms at their convenience as they are in, in seeing it under what you and I might think puristically are the perfect circumstances of mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the widescreen, the stereo sounds and so on. Mm -hmm. But another one, and this one, it took me a long time to get onto this, is when I was growing up, the reason that movies were basically directed at young people is that young people went on dates and a movie mm -hmm. was the perfect date or at least mm -hmm. it was the beginning of a perfect date. Right, yeah. I, I mean, the, after the movie, you know, you would have what Hitchcock called the icebox talk. Uh, <laughs> you'd get a drink or you'd go out to dinner or you'd get ice cream or you'd go home and you'd talk about the movie. And, and the, right. the complete experience was seeing the movie and then talking about the movie. And of course, if you were dating, you could always hope for still more of an experience after that. Right. Okay, what it, what it took me a long, long time to realize is, by and large, young people don't date anymore. Um, I mean, they get together socially, they mm -hmm. interact, they network, they hang with their peeps, they hook up. But um, going on a date seems to me not particularly a thing anymore. And therefore, mm -hmm. they don't have to find things to do while they're on dates. Mm -hmm. If they want to go somewhere, they go to a bar. Mm -hmm. um, if they're old enough, or if they're almost old enough, or if they look old enough. Um, mm -hmm. and, and if they can't do that, uh, you know, they either hang with their friends uh, on on social media or they mm -hmm. get together and hang with their friends in person they go to the mall for instance um, mm -hmm. so for all these reasons i think um the time for the decline of movie theaters was already that was locked in before, yeah before covid came along covid is just giving people on the one hand a realization on the other hand an excuse and i'm right. sorry about that because i'm one of the people who really did like to go to movie theaters although i must <laughs> say there are a lot of things I miss about the last nine months, but going to the movies would probably not crack the top 10. <laughs> I mean, I, I would feel the same way, but largely just because a lot of the movies that would have been coming out, I probably wouldn't have been that interested in seeing. Yeah, that, of course, <laughs> is part of the reason, too. Having said all, all that, I have to say, I really feel sorry for Chris Nolan. Yeah, <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> you know, people say, to him, oh, Tenet, wonderful. You know, it'll be just like Inception. It looks even more puzzling. It's it's more obscure. Make it longer. Make it bigger. Make it more expensive. And then when he does exactly what they say, they say, what, you want to put this on the widescreen? You're living in the old days, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 I thought <laughs> No, it I thought that was really interesting. He did not concoct this witch's brew. What does interest me is the question of how he will adapt once yeah. computers have gone away. Well, it's kind of a uh, interesting thing with that. Um, he, I, I know that he's been involved a lot lately with just kind of figures in the the gaming community. And as far as I'm pretty sure he's done screenings of his movies, like in certain video games like they'll in the virtual game world there's like a movie theater screen set up and you watch inception while you're in the world of the game or something like that something so like maybe, that. maybe there, there's gonna be some weird thing in the future where we're all watching movies in virtual worlds while in <laughs> like video games and they're laughing like, at this but this is not that much different from yeah. yours and my ideal experience of watching a movie already yeah. Um, you know, I always used to say that that one of the reasons I like to go to movie theaters was to get that oceanic feeling that I yeah. would sit back and the movie would roll over me and I would be powerless mm -hmm. to resist it and I would surrender to it. Right. It doesn't happen when I watch things on TV. Um, mm -hmm. But even though that was a great experience and I do miss that experience, that's not the only great experience you're going to have while, while you're watching a movie. Mm hmm. 
Um, I mean, th th there are times when I read novels when I feel completely swept up and carried away by the novel, but there are plenty of times I read novels that I enjoy them a lot that I'm not having that feeling. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so yeah, not only am I curious about how people like Chris Nolan are going to make out, you know, in this brave new world, but I'm interested in how, um, I don't even want to say movie corporations, let's say media corporations will make out in this brave new world too. For instance, mm -hmm. we still have opera. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a coterie art. I mean, it's basically a dead art that's preserved by this very economically powerful but tiny niche audience. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, there are a, a surveys continue to show that more young people get hooked on opera than get hooked on symphonic music. Mm -hmm. So orchestras target audiences are dying, but operas target audiences are being replenished to a greater extent. Mm -hmm. um, the same thing has happened with live theater. Sure. New York has Broadway, but it would be hard to name three other cities in America that have a really hyperactive theater district, you know, a theater yeah. life that the yeah. economy revolves around. Um, but but theater still survives. It just survives as a coterie art, a niche art. Mm -hmm. Is that what movies are headed toward? I would say that's where movies are already. It's, yeah. We haven't quite noticed it yet. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think that we're kind of heading in that direction but I, I feel like it's it's going to be one of those things that's always going to sustain because there's going to be people out there that are interested and, and passionate about it and you, you already see that with like things like the criterion collection like the people are like devoted to these movies that they release and like these the, the physical releases that they come out with of, of these classic films and they do very well like they're, they're a successful company so i know that like, the, there's people that are always going to be there that are interested in seeing like old movies and just interested in, in the art form in general but are we going to see you know like the the multiplex culture last for considerably longer probably not that i don't think and i also think that yeah. people are not i could be wrong about this because the way that we've been going this niche culture i'm not sure how much longer people are going to think of movies as an art form um I, I wonder how much longer, I remember watching my daughter when she was in high school, watch TV with a remote control in her hands and she mm -hmm. changed the channel like every 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, I found this nerve wracking. I, you know, <laughs> first I asked her, you know, aren't you afraid you're gonna miss something? She said, no, of course I'm not gonna miss anything. Um, I know when to change the channel. I know I'm not gonna miss anything. This is not my first rodeo. Mm -hmm. And finally I said, well, you know, why would you, why would you want to watch all these shows at once? And she said, well, I've only got an hour to watch TV. Why would I spend it just watching one show when I could spend it watching four shows? And I thought, God bless her. You know, if she can get away with doing that, which I could not do, you know, why not? It's a more efficient way to do it. So maybe instead of thinking of movies as an art form, people think of movies as, um, I don't know, a provision or a, I don't want to call it a background noise. I don't think of movies as audiovisual music exactly, but um, you know, a, an affordance, a something that's there that you can draw on if you like the way that, mm -hmm. for instance, before I discovered that my DVD player, when I put it on pause and then went away for six hours and turned it back on, would go on to the same place. That was mm -hmm. a remarkable moment in my life. <laughs> Up until then, I'd been watching Turner classic movies. Sure. I brush my teeth, I turn on the movie, I had no idea what it was, I'd watch it for two minutes. And of course, in two minutes, you don't really get a lot of the plot. No, definitely but not. There are a lot of interesting ways to watch movies without picking up the plot. Sometimes, of course, it'd be a familiar movie and I would say, oh yeah, right, I remember where this is. Other times I would think, 
So who are these actors exactly? And what, what, what are the characters trying to do? I would, I would try to guess what decade was this movie made? Um, when I got really confident, I would try to guess, you know, which filmmaker made it? Who does it look like? Mm -hmm. um, the, I think those are strange ways to watch movies. And as movie culture evolves, as audiovisual culture evolves, I think that we'll see new ways of watching movies that I really can't imagine right now. I'll be very curious mm -hmm. to see what those ways are and whether or not I can appreciate them, even if I can't share them. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we will see you next week for part two.